Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. We're continuing our series through the book of James, and this week we begin chapter 2 as James focuses on something he considers pretty serious, showing favoritism to people based on what they have or how they look. Follow along as we explore this topic and learn how Jesus is an inviter and includer of everyone, and specifically the people that no one else seems to want. We hope you enjoy this message. Guys, welcome. Welcome to Fellowship Greenville students. My name is Matt Dinsky. I am the youth pastor here at this church. I want you to know how loved you are and that you have a place to belong right here in this family. Uh, let's, let's start with a confession up front. I'm going to start uh, with confession because I just want you guys to know a couple of things uh, going on with me right now this week. So the first thing I want you to know is my entire family is sick. It, uh, I know. It's shocking. Uh, including, including myself, I'm not contagious. First row people, I'm not contagious, but, but we, all have, we all have strep. So I've been struggling, uh, but we're all on antibiotics, so I can't pass it to you. But we are struggling, so it's been a, it's been a hard weekend. The second thing I want you to know, uh, I'm just telling you that first thing so you have a little bit more pity on me tonight. Uh, the second thing I want you to know is all week long, Actually, for two weeks, because we had United Night two weeks ago. For two weeks, I have been preparing a sermon uh, to teach for tonight. And as I was uh, going over that sermon today, around 4 p.m., I sensed the Lord saying to me, and he does this sometimes, and I'm not the biggest fan of it, but he does do this sometimes. I sensed the Lord saying to me, hey, I don't want you to teach that. I want you to teach this instead. And so it's one of those things, it's like, ah, oh, Lord, but I haven't like really prepared for this one. And it's like, yeah, but I want you to teach this instead. Yeah, but Lord, I, like I haven't put it all together. And, and inevitably it comes down to like, Matt, what do you care more about? Faithfulness to me or like making sure that whatever you talk about is like really nice and polished and refined so that you can sound like you have a good sermon. It's like, all right. So tonight uh, the Lord called an audible around four. And so, <laughs> yeah, dog. And so originally we were going to skip uh, the first half of James chapter two. We're going to focus on the back half. And God was like, no, I want you to talk about the first half tonight. So feeling incredibly sick and fatigued and very ill prepared. I'm here with you tonight to talk and learn with you from the word of God. You guys ready? Yeah. yeah. Great. Good. And let's, let's jump in together. Uh, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we have been in the book of James. It's really a letter written by this guy named James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Great job. He grew up at home with Jesus. If you could imagine having Jesus as your sibling. Uh, James had Jesus as his sibling. Interestingly, though, James did not believe in Jesus, did not believe that Jesus was Messiah, did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was, did not believe that Jesus was God. And so he grew up in the same home as him, but did not believe in Jesus until later in life when Jesus was resurrected, came back from the dead. And James at that point was kind of like, oh, I mean, I guess you are God. <laughs> my bad. Uh, my B dog. And so he believed in Jesus and then became a leader in the early church. And he is writing a letter to followers of Jesus who are on the run for their lives due to persecution. People are killing Christians. People are discriminating against Christians. People are uh, belittling them, harassing them, uh, 
hurting them economically, hurting them physically, all sorts of things. And so Christians, especially in the city of Jerusalem, are on the run. They are in hiding. And James is writing a letter to those people. And so we've been in the, the letter of James for three weeks. And, and so really this has kind of been like, you know, James is at this point in his life. He's a spiritual dad. He's writing towards his kids in the faith. And so every week we've been couching it as dad vice with James, dad vice with James. And uh, week one, James's dad vice was, well, does anyone remember? This would be amazing. Week one, this was like four weeks ago. Life is hard. Does anyone remember without notes? Because that'd be really impressive. Life is, that was without notes? Hey, good for you. Life is hard. That was week one. What? Fishing. Awesome. All right. So week one was life is hard. Week two is fishing. Dad advice, fishing. Some of you guys are like, yes. No. Week two is you. No. Week two is you'll make mistakes, but God is good. You'll make mistakes, but God is good. And week three is be real. All right. Make sure you got your phone turned around to Okay. All right. Week three is be real. Tonight, dad, uh, dad. Wow. Tonight, father James, dad is continuing his dad vice. And what James wants you to know, the dad vice for tonight, as we jump in to chapter two, the beginning part, which I've prepared so well for. What James wants you to know tonight is love on people who don't belong. That's his, that's his dad advice for you, which is really good advice. So if you can imagine Father James, he's in the kitchen. You kind of just woke up. It's Saturday morning. He's in the kitchen. His mug on the table is steaming. Pancakes are there. You kind of come downstairs. You stumble downstairs and he flags you in. He's like, oh, son, daughter, come on in, come on in. Let's continue our tradition. It's Saturday. I got some dad advice for you. And you sit at the table and you're groggy and you're wiping your, your eye boogers out and you're like trying to get a bearing on the world. And James looks at you and he says, hey, I, I want you to know something about life. And James says, there are a lot of people in this world who are invisible to everybody. I want you to know it is important to love on people who don't belong. That is Father James's dad advice for us this week. Uh, when, I was a, <clears throat> when I was a kid, I have a brother. I have an older brother. Some of you guys know that. Some of you guys are like, a brother? What's he look like? He looks like me. I don't know. Uh, he's just three, three years older. Um, actually, I don't think we look that much like. I don't know. I'll let you be the judge with no picture I have. Um, <laughs> uh, my brother and I are very opposite. But when I was growing up as a kid, like, you know, he's my hero. He's my brother. Like, I just wanted to spend time with him. I thought he was awesome. And um, inevitably, are there any younger siblings in the house tonight? Okay. So maybe you know what, I, what I'm talking about here. Inevitably, there's a certain age that older siblings reach most of the time. And I don't know what age it is, but most of the time that older siblings reach where all of the sudden you're kind of cramping their style to be around as a younger sibling. You know what I mean? Like all of the sudden you, you go from like, hey, this is, this is my little buddy. This is my, this is my little brother to all of a sudden like, we don't, I don't want you here. Like, I don't want you around. Older siblings, is this true? Wow. Way too quick of an answer, way too, <laughs> way too enthusiastic of an answer. 
yeah, for whatever reason, there's a certain age and all of a sudden it's like your little siblings are like, I don't want them here. Okay. But little siblings don't know that until they get their feelings hurt. Am I right? Younger siblings? Yeah, there's no like, there's no like gradual leading up to that. And I remember this one time in particular, my brother and I, we were visiting our grandmother. And I don't know, I don't know why, but there were some kids in the neighborhood. We didn't even know them, but there were some kids in the neighborhood and my brother went off to hang out with them. And I thought, oh, it would be so cool to go hang out with my three years older brother and those older kids, right? Like what older sibling wouldn't want that? I don't know, but anyway, I thought it would be so cool. And so they were all hanging out and I saw them from a distance. I saw them walking down the street back towards the house. And I got so excited to go and to meet these other teenagers and to to be with my older brother. I got so excited, I, I actually ran. I was really excited. I ran and I actually hopped a fence. Like I climbed a fence and hopped it because I was like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with my bro. And I'm, and I'm going up to this group and about 20 yards away, one of the, the girls in that group sees me and just based on how I looked, based on like how I was dressed, based on, I guess, the persona I had, called me a very hurtful name, like boom, right off the bat. And I was like, ah. Oh, and do you know what my brother did? Beat her up. Wow. No. No. Who says this? Did he laugh? No. Do you know what he did? He did nothing. He did nothing. And I got to be honest with you guys, you know, I've got tons of memories. If I try real hard to think about them, I can identify like times in my childhood when my feelings were hurt, blah, blah, blah. But for whatever reason, this was the first time that it kind of hit me, like the gut check of, oh, I no longer belong with my brother and his friends because he doesn't want me there. Like she said something really cruel and mean and made fun of me and and immediately like there was an opportunity for him to be like, hey, yo, that's my bro, don't talk about him like that and pull me in and he did nothing. And I I think, you know, part of this is just unfortunately a normal journey in, in the teenage years where Older siblings just feel like they're so cool. and but, but I didn't realize it was happening until that moment. And it was the first time in my life where I, where I recall, vividly recall, feeling like, oh, I don't have a place to belong with my brother anymore. And that sense of loneliness, that sense of like confusion, that sense of angst or, or ache or like, man, I, when did that happen? When did we go from like best buds to like, Dude, you don't even know these kids and you're going to let them be mean to me and not even defend. Like, you have more loyalty to strangers than you do your brother. Like, I, I vividly remember the feelings coming over me in that moment and trying to sort them out and, and identifying this idea of, like, something just happened. I, I, I no longer fit in with my bro. And maybe it's not your brother. It might be a friend. It might be your family. Has anyone in this room ever felt like, man, I... I just don't belong anymore. Yeah, you can raise hands. Yeah, it's like I'm asking, you know. Has anyone ever felt that way? That ache of like, I I feel lonely, I feel awkward, I, I feel like I just lost something, I can't put a finger on it, but I don't quite fit. And that feeling, the reason that it hurts so deeply and the reason that 
the reason that it lingers so long is because that is a feeling that you were actually never intended to feel as a child of God. Because one of the strongest stories, one of the strongest themes that we see in the Bible is the idea that God has created a place for you to belong. It's from cover to cover. And the feeling of I don't belong is actually something you were never designed to feel. And yet we all feel it. James is pulling us into the, the table, the breakfast table, Father James, and he's passing on some dad advice, and he's looking at us and he's saying, hey, hey, you know that feeling of not belonging? You know that feeling of like when, when, when you just have nowhere to land and, and you feel like everybody's watching and simultaneously you're invisible and you know how embarrassing that feels and you know maybe those like hot tingles that like go up your back and it's like, oh, you know that feeling? Watch out for other people who feel that way. Love on people who do not belong. That's the advice that Father James wants to pass along to his spiritual children tonight, his spiritual brothers and sisters. So we're going to jump in. James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I hope you guys are ready. Here we go. You guys good? Okay. Thank you, three of you. Here we go. Very enthusiastic room. Negative. Hey, at least you're honest, man. All right, here we go. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, remember that can be translated my sons and daughters as well. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, the word partiality is not really a word that you and I use very often in our language. Uh, like it's not an everyday thing. Um, like, hey, where do you want to go to eat? You want to go to cookout or Waffle House? Uh, I don't really show partiality to fast food joints. Like we just don't use that kind of language. So what James is really saying here is show no preference or show no favoritism as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So the question on the table tonight is, even if you didn't raise your hand, even if you didn't raise your hand, I think every person in here knows what it feels like to not belong. The question on the table tonight is, are you also someone who shows favoritism and actually creates the reality in other people's lives of not belonging? In your day-to-day, in your habits, in your social ways of operating, do you show favoritism in ways that makes people feel like they have no place? That's the question on the table. James says, Don't do it. Don't show any favoritism as you hold the faith in Jesus. Now, he goes on to kind of give us this hypothetical situation. Like, like you you can kind of imagine James had gotten word, had caught wind of some scenario happening in some church, and he's kind of like bringing it up without identifying key players. But James says this, verse 2, look at this. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, or in other words, comes to your church, to your gathering. If somebody comes in the back of the room and they're really well-dressed and they have nice clothes and and a gold ring, and you see them, and you pay attention, I'm sorry, and and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing, and you say, hey, 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 you, you, Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Why don't you come and sit? I've got a seat right here next to me. 
and you flag them down. You pay attention to the person in fine clothing and you say, hey, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, hey, you stand over there or maybe if you have to sit near me, sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is using that word judges because what he's saying is you have deemed yourself, for whatever reason, worthy enough to judge others' value based on outward appearance. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, sons, and daughters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? when he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? All right, so let's, let's pause there. James is giving us this scenario about favoritism. So unfortunately, we struggle with this in our, in our culture today. And unfortunately, this has lingered in culture ever since the beginning of time and cultures. There have been categories of people that for whatever reason think they're better than others. There have been categories of values where we would look at someone and we'd say, oh, do you check this box, this box, this box? Oh, then you belong in this category. You're cooler than them. You're more popular than them. And James is bringing this to the surface and he's saying, hey, 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 followers of Jesus, Make sure that one of the things that is not true about you is showing favoritism based on external values. And so the early church might be saying, well, how do we know if we're doing that? And James is saying, well, let's just, I don't know, let's think through a scenario. Let's say you're at church one night and someone dressed very, very nicely with a gold ring comes in and you can tell they've got money. You can tell they've got status. If you pay attention to them and you say, oh, come sit right here by me. Oh, this is great. I got a seat. And then, and then for whatever reason, simultaneously, someone who clearly is poor, someone who clearly is not very well dressed, someone who is in dire need, who doesn't fit in, maybe they've got some like BO going on because they can't do their laundry or whatever. And you see them walk in and your reaction is, oh, uh, hey, that wall back there, you can go stand there maybe. Oh, you, you want to sit. Ah, oh, man, I... All right, how about you sit on the floor in front of me? Instead of beside me, would you sit on the floor? James is saying, have you not just illustrated by your actions that your value system is based on that of the world? You have made yourself a judge about who is worthy to belong and who's not because someone might have money and someone might not. And James is saying, don't do that. Now, what's interesting is the emphasis James is putting on this, because it kind of seems like, man, is it really that big of a deal? And James would say, yes. In fact, James calls this, in a a minute we're going to see it, James calls this sin. Like, in other words, if you, if you operate in this way and show preference to some because of how they look or what they have and show a lack of interest or a lack of concern or care or preference to others because of what they don't have, that is one of the things that put Jesus on the cross. He calls it sin. 
Like, it's not just this little issue that's like, oh, it would be nice if Christians could be kind. James is saying, no, this killed Jesus when you do this. It's a big deal. Now, you may be saying to yourself, man, like, I'm not relating. How often does a rich person come in versus a poor person? How often does, so, like, do I even care if they're wearing a gold ring? I could care less versus someone who, all right, so this is not our culture, Okay. He's talking to a different culture. But let's put it in our own cultural terms. We all have these categories. We all have these values. I don't know what yours are, but fill in the blank. If someone comes in and they check those boxes, they're, they're, they're wearing whatever. They have just the right clothes. And you look at them and you're like, ooh, their drip is tight tonight. yo. And they, they have all the right brands. Because for whatever reason, we think, oh, if you wear this brand, you're just that much cooler than if you wear this brand. Wow, you paid $100 more for the same thing? You're so cool. (laughs) We put categories on brands. We put categories on styles. We put categories on things. And somehow we operate by this. If you have this type of car, you're way cooler than if you have this type of car. That's kind of lame. If you wear this brand of clothing, wow, I'm impressed versus, oh, that? No, I could care less. If you're into this music versus that music, if you're into these shows versus those shows, if you go to this school instead of that school, if you look like this versus if you look like that. Like we have, we have categories deeply ingrained into our brains by which we operate, even down to things like physical features on people, which is so idiotic, if I'm honest, because when that little baby is born, it's not like they chose to not have that feature or to have that feature. We've just created all these categories that we operate by, which say, oh, if you look like that, you get elevated. If you don't, you're, oh, you're not a very attractive person. It's like, James is writing to that mentality, and he's saying, who are you to be the judge of someone's worth based on a worldly way of looking at things? If someone comes through the door wealthy, and you flaunt, and, and, and you become so, oh, come sit with me, and then someone comes through the door poor, and clearly they're not dressed well, and you'd rather them go stand on the wall, you have made distinctions. If you don't relate to the rich and poor thing, fill in the blank. If someone comes through the door who looks hot, let's be honest, yo, they fine. And someone comes through the door who looks like not... <laughs> Do, do you not already have cattle? Ooh, I hope they come sit near me. <laughs> Maybe tonight will be one of those worship nights where we like put our arms around each other and sway. Yo, come sit here. You know you do it. You go to your school and you're in the parking lot. I, I guarantee you, you know who drives the nicest cars in your school. You've probably Googled roughly how much that costs. You're creating a category for who's better than who based on what? Stuff that will not matter at all in a few decades? We do this. We operate by categories, and then we put worth and value on people according to those categories, and we make people feel like they're either in or out based on them. 
And, and this is not just us, and it's not just our generation. This is something that people have been doing for thousands of years, ever since the beginning of time. And unfortunately, it occurs within the church, the body of Jesus as well. James is writing to this very thing. He's saying, you Christians have created categories of people where you have decided, you have judged, some are better than others simply because of money or clothes or what they can afford to buy, jewelry, fill in the blank. If the wealthy, poor thing is not resonating, fill in the blank. We all do it. And James is saying, look at verse 1 again. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, my sons and daughters, show no favoritism. As long as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Well, let's take a look. Uh, Paul writes about this as well. Galatians chapter 3. I've got it on the screen for you guys. This is what Paul says. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and insert in their daughters of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, what Paul is not saying is, hey, there's no longer any distinctives. We're all just one big blob. That's not what he means because God is a God of diversity. He loves cultures. He loves differences. He loves diversity. So, Paul is not saying there's nothing distinctive about you anymore. What he is saying, though, is nobody is better than anybody in the family of Christ. If you belong to Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're a man or woman. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter whatever your category in life, at the foot of the cross, we are all on equal ground. Nobody is better than anybody if we are in the family of God. Did you know that that aching feeling of loneliness and feeling like I don't have a place to belong is something you were never meant to feel? That God, the way God has created his family, its intention was to be people, let's go back to the dad vice with James, who love on people who don't belong. The body of Jesus was always designed to be constantly looking for people. Oh, they don't belong. They don't belong. Oh, they're on the fringe. They're on the edge. We need to pull them in. We need to love on people who don't belong. But instead, what we do is we get in our little circles and our little friend groups and we become really, really comfortable. And the very thing that we love having, which is belonging, we're also afraid of losing. And so we exclude others And we don't let them belong because we're afraid if we pulled them in, we would no longer belong because our group would be upset with us that we brought in someone who doesn't quite belong in the group. Once you have it, you forget you need to create it. And Paul is saying, in Jesus we are one. James is saying, if you belong to Jesus, do not show favoritism. Some of you guys know my faith journey. You know I did not grow up um, in the church, really. But there was a weird window when I was in the sixth grade. We lived in Kentucky. Any Kentucky people in the room? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We We lived in Kentucky. And 
And for like a weird one month, two months, we went to church. I don't know what it was about, but all of a sudden we were in church. I didn't grow up in church. There was a weird window when I went. And there was a pastor at the church I was at. His name was Mike Bro, was his last name, Mike Bro. The French way of spelling it, B-R-E-A-U-X, bruh. Not the bro way of spelling it. Um, Mike Bro. <clears throat> One day, Mike Bro comes to church and he's in disguise. He's incognito. He's dressed as a homeless man. This is the pastor of the church. He has these clothes on that are like dirty and tattered and, and clearly looks like, man, this, this guy has seen better days. And he comes to the service about half an hour early. People are coming in, just like you guys come into this room. People are coming in and they're, they're claiming their seats and they're putting their stuff down and they're making sure they got all their spots. And, and this homeless gentleman comes and, and tries to sit beside some of these people and as you can imagine, it, it makes them uncomfortable. It creates some awkward conversation. Like, who, who, who are you? Where, do, where, where are you coming from, sir? And some people became so uncomfortable with this homeless man trying to sit with them at church that they would get up and move seats entirely, which you know in church culture, once you have your seat, that's your seat for life. So to get to move is like, <gasps> Wow. But they would rather, they would rather distance themselves from this homeless man than sit in the seats they're used to. He became such an inconvenience to some and so annoying to some and so uncomfortable to others that people were actually moving away from him in the sanctuary, in the church. The worship plays, announcements are given. All of a sudden, it's time for the teaching of God's word. And everyone's in the room kind of waiting, like, okay, where's Mike? Like, what, what is going on this morning? This is a weird morning. And the pulpit's empty. No one's coming up. And everyone's kind of waiting. And what, what, what's, what is happening? Like, it, where's Mike okay? And after a few minutes of awkwardness, all of a sudden, this homeless gentleman stands up. Begins to walk towards the stage, creating confusion in the room and, and alarm. Like, whoa, whoa, what's this guy doing? No, 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 you don't belong there. Hey, hey, no. Walks onto the stage, stands behind the pulpit. People, whoa, whoa, hey, somebody help this man. He's lost. Somebody get this man something. And all of a sudden, Mike Bro begins to take off his tattered jacket, revealing his usual dress underneath. Takes off his head covering, revealing his face. And all of a sudden, the entire room realizes, oh, that was Mike. It was our pastor. And that morning, Mike taught on how the people of Jesus need to be includers and lovers of all people. And he didn't shame anyone and he didn't name names. But could you imagine being in the room and having this gentleman sit down beside you and being so uncomfortable and so annoyed, you, you actually just get up and leave him to go sit somewhere comfortable only 30 minutes later to find out that was your pastor revealing just how deep in your heart these categories go of favoritism. 
We can claim all day long how much we love Jesus and, and how oh, we want people to come to know Jesus. But if your personal bubble of comfort is popped, all of a sudden those categories are on display. Who are you? Man, you smell. Why are you here? Why are you sitting here next to me? Man, I just wanted to come to church on a Sunday. I just wanted to enjoy my morning. What are you doing here? Oh, so you thought this whole thing was about you. And that pastor graciously exposed those categories in people's hearts when he became a category himself. We don't like to admit they exist, but they exist. And James is writing to the church, to Christians, saying, if this is you, you need a heart change. The people of God cannot categorize people. The people of God cannot create categories of distinction and show favoritism simply because of things like jewelry, clothes, cars, looks. Those are all worldly things. James is writing to his children saying, love on people who don't belong. Yeah, but they don't look like me. Good. You need to be humbled anyway. Love on people who don't belong. Yeah, but they kind of, they smell though, but they don't, that's okay. You smell sometimes. You're just nose blind to it, but you do. Okay, but they're like awkward. They're socially awkward. And then I'm like, cool, and kill my vibe. You know what needs to be killed is your ego. Love on people who don't belong. Oh, is that a little too harsh? I heard some ooze there. Sorry. But, I mean, thought we could be real in here. That's dad advice from two. Let's be real. Yeah, some people are socially awkward. You know why? Probably because they've never been included their entire life, and they missed the boat on how to laugh at inside jokes and a sense of humor and what's relevant and what's cool because no one's ever taken them in. And James is saying, hey, we are the people who should be doing that. We're the, Paul is writing, saying, at the cross, we are one. There's nothing that makes you any better than anyone else. And if you've created those categories, James says, it is a sin. Don't show preference to people. Don't show preference to people based on worldly values, but show value to people based on heavenly preference. I'm going to say it again. Don't show preference to people based on worldly values but show value to people based on heavenly preference. Jesus is teaching this really interesting uh, story in Luke chapter 14. I'm going to go there. We're going to summarize some of it. Thank you, Tommy. I appreciate that, bro. Jesus is teaching this story. Starting in verse 15 of Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at this dinner party, and one of the People at this dinner party who were reclining at the table with him heard these things. He said to Jesus, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Amen. I love bread. Bread's my favorite food. I want to eat bread in the kingdom of God. That stuck of bread from Swamp Rabbit? Y'all, if that ain't kingdom of God bread, I don't know. I don't, I don't want kingdom of God bread if it ain't that. Jesus responded to this. And said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, everything's ready. 
but they all began to make excuses. The first person said, well, I, I just bought a field. I, I got to go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, well, I just bought five yoke of oxen, as one does, as we know. I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I, I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And then another said, I, I just married a wife, <laughs> and therefore I can't come. She wouldn't let me, dog. Verse 21, so the servant came back and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, I tell you what, go out quickly to the streets and to the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there's room at the party. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways then and the hedges and compel people to come in so that my house can be filled. Verse 24, I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus is telling this story and it's a story illustrating what the kingdom of God is like. And he tells the story as, hey, the kingdom of God is open for everybody, but there's going to be some who say, no, I don't want the invitation for whatever excuse. And Jesus is telling this fictional story to prove the point. The master in the fictional story then says, well, go and invite anyone you can find. Go to the alleys, go to the shady spots of the city. Get some like real slimy folks. You know what I mean? Some like real crusty people. Like go, go there. Go to those places where like the lights are broken and it's just dark and go down those alleys and invite them into the kingdom of God. Make sure they're poor people. Make sure they're lame and crippled. Make sure beggars know the party's for them. Servant comes back and he's like, it's done, man. We've invited everyone. And Jesus is like, all right, then go to the side streets. Go to the, go to the highways. Go to the hedges. Go to where people have been left out and excluded. Go to the underpasses. Go to the bridges. Go to the parks at nighttime. Go find people who have never been invited to a party and make sure they know they're invited into the kingdom of God. Hear me, because we got to understand this. How you feel about poor people, and I'm, I'm using that language because this is what James uses, this is what Jesus uses. How you feel about poor people reveals the categories in your heart. I don't know if you know this, but at the core of Jesus' earthly ministry was outreach to the poor. Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit for there shall be the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, hey, if you're poor, just know the kingdom is yours. Jesus says, yo, my party has poor people, beggars, lame, cripples, the people everyone pretends is invisible. That's my party. And meanwhile, the people of Jesus will walk by them on the street, hoping they don't make eye contact. Do you have categories that exist in your heart that reveal the favoritism that you practice? Oh, Father James says, hey, hey, love on people who don't belong. That's the way of Jesus. Love on people who don't belong. Are they awkward? Love on them. Are they unpopular? Love on them. Do they smell weird? Love on them. Have they ever been included? No, love on them. Do they just not seem to fit in? Love on them. Love on people who don't belong. And you might be thinking, oh, yeah, but to do that is so uncomfortable. It's so awkward. It's so, ah. Uh. No, you know what you're feeling? 
you're feeling the reality of the sacrifice you'd have to make in order for that to be true of you. Because you'd actually have to be willing to disrupt the comfortable life you've created. Guys, I love you. I I love you so much. I pray for you every week. I want you to come to believe in Jesus and know Jesus and grow in Jesus. But Jesus did not die so that we can pursue a vain American dream and dump all our money into material possessions and have the dream house with the latest upgrades and have the nicest tech and the best job and the coolest car. And if you get those things from God, that's great. And I rejoice. And man, awesome. Like, great. I think those things are cool. But the goal of those things should be to then turn around and ask, how can I be generous with what I've been given? How can I look for people in need who doesn't belong, who needs something? Who needs a friend? Who needs a warm meal? How can I turn this into something that the kingdom of God can use at their giant party for people? The goal of this life is not to build your own miniature kingdom until you die and go to heaven. The goal of this life is to build up his kingdom so that heaven can be experienced on earth. That's the ministry of Jesus. And James is putting a finger in this thing and saying, hey, are you guilty of categories and thinking that some people are worth more and some people are worth less and you show favoritism based on that? Don't do it. Why? Because Jesus never did. In fact, it, it was what he was in trouble for all the time. Religious leaders would go, hey, you, you spend time with bad, you spend time with sinners. Jesus would be like, yeah, why aren't you? Don't show preference to people based on worldly values. Show value to people based on heavenly preference. God gives preference to everybody. And that is our value system as well. All right, let's let's continue here. A few more verses. Verse 8. James says this, James chapter 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality or if you show favoritism, you are committing sin. It's a big deal, James says. This isn't just some like tiny, like, oh, Christian's Hallmark card. It'd be nice if you... James is saying, no, this put Jesus on the cross. You're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said don't commit adultery has also said don't murder. If you don't commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are about to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, admittedly, some of this is a little hard to understand. Here's what James is saying. James is saying. He's saying, look, you know the law. You know the, the, the great commandment to love others as you love yourself. He brings that up. He's saying, great, if you obey that, you're doing well. But he wants us to know, hey, but, but hey, if, you, if you're claiming like, oh, I'm obeying the law of God, the ways of God, and you break one part of the law, you're still guilty. So James is bringing up this dichotomy about adultery and murder. In other words, a murderer in prison might say, well, I know I killed someone, but I never committed adultery. And an adulterer 
might look at someone who's murdered someone and say, ah, I know I cheated on my wife and ruined her entire life, <laughs> but I've never murdered. James is saying, okay, but both are bad. Both have dishonored God. Both have broken the ways of God's love and law. And so, in other words, he's using this argument to say this. If you say that you follow Jesus, but you don't love others, then you're still guilty. You, you, you can't claim like, oh, I'm following Jesus. I, I just don't love people that well. I mean, I've got categories and I show favoritism, but I mean, hey, I'm not a murderer. James is like, okay, you didn't kill anyone. But do you know the reality for that person that you just created by making them feel like they don't belong in the family of God? You, you don't justify yourself by saying, I've never killed anyone when you leave someone out. James is saying it doesn't work like that. If you claim love your neighbor, it's not just about murder or adultery. It's about inclusion. It's about how you treat them. And James is saying you can't break certain parts of the ways of God and uphold others and see it as totally fine. If you break one part, you've broken all of it. So if you don't love others, or if you make others feel excluded, or if you create categories, or if you show favoritism, it doesn't matter if you've never murdered anyone. It doesn't matter if you come to church every Sunday night. It doesn't matter if you've memorized a bunch of Bible pads. It doesn't matter if those things are true if you have made people feel like they have no place in the family of God. James says that's sin. He says, verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are about to be judged under the law of liberty. What's he mean by that? Well, Sometimes I'll be in the kitchen or something like that and I'll hear my boys wrestling really hard in the living room. Parents, you know what this is like when you're not in the room with them and all of a sudden you just hear like chaos happening. It's like, oh. And you know it's really bad if it goes from chaos to dead silence. All of a sudden you know like, ooh, something just happened. And there are times when my boys will get so out of hand and I'll, and I'll have to leave the kitchen and, and walk into the living room to where they are. And when they hear my footsteps coming, you know what they do? You know what they do? Yeah, they stop. They stop before I even turn the corner. By the time I turn the corner, parents, you know what's about to happen. By the time I turn the corner, they're sitting there with like tea and cookies. I'm like, oh, father, mm, welcome. <laughs> like, okay, drop the act. What was going on? They heard me coming. And so all of a sudden they snapped into gear. And James is saying, hey, listen, don't forget, don't forget that Jesus is coming soon. He's coming back. And one of the things that he will judge us on is how we treated others. So speak and so act as those who are about to be judged under the law of liberty. In other words, he's saying, hey, guys, dad's around the corner. Like, Jesus is coming like, could you imagine if you knew Jesus was coming back in 10 minutes and some, some homeless person walks through the door and you're like, ah, oh, you don't belong here. No, you'd be like, oh, 10 minutes, I better, <laughs> welcome, brother. Like, like he's saying, hey, Jesus is coming back. So let that affect your reality. Begin to see people as worthy of the death and resurrection of Jesus because that's how Jesus sees them. Or his dad vice would say, love on people who don't belong. Unfortunately, we have a hard time with this, don't we? 
We do create categories. We do create systems. We do deem some people as more worthy than others, and there are definitely people that we avoid. It happens in this room. Like, there's people who come in here and sit by themselves every Sunday night, and it's like, ah, when will the body of Jesus stop looking at who their circle is and start looking beyond for who needs a circle to have? Thank you. I appreciate the clap. That should be one of the distinctive markers of Jesus' people. Hospitality, warmth, grace, inclusion. Those should be defining things. Not, oh, I got my clique. I got my God squad. We rolled a church together, but <clears throat> you can't be a part of us. Like, what? No, that is not the way of Jesus. And unfortunately, we fall oftentimes into what I call the trap of a comfortable culture, the trap of comfortable culture. In other words, you know that people aren't being included. You know that people need friends. You know that people need a warm face. You know that people need a smile. You know that people need a, an arm around their shoulders and just a how are you sometimes. You know that people are so lonely. But because you have somehow managed to get this comfortable culture, like you've got your friend group, you've got your people, you come on Sunday nights, you know exactly where you're going to sit, you know exactly who you're going to see, you know exactly how to fit in and blend in. Because that's a reality for you, you have fallen into the trap that everyone who doesn't have that is invisible because you can't risk losing that. James would say, hey, there's an antidote to that. Jesus, I think, would say there's an antidote to that, and it's as simple as this. Invite and include. Invite and include. Hear me, I'm, I'm not saying, hey, every, every time your friends decide to get together and go to cookout, like drive up and down Woodruff until you find a homeless person and get them in the car as quick as you can. I'm not, I'm not like, don't be weird about it. <laughs> don't be, it is dangerous. Thank you, Tommy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, hey, every time you got to. What I am saying, though, is if the opportunity to invite someone or include someone presents itself, you cannot ignore it as a follower of Jesus. If you know someone is lonely, you invite and include them. Yeah, but Matt, it would disrupt like the culture of our group. I know, you have a culture of comfort. It needs to be disrupted. Why? Because Jesus pulled you into his family as well. Newsflash, you disrupted the family of Jesus. Because why? He saw the potential in you and the value of you. You don't value people based on the worldly system. You value them based on the heavenly system. So you begin to see them as Jesus sees them. Who did he value? Every Man, he's throwing a party. Make sure you go to the alleys. Get to like the weirdest people you can possibly get. This party's going to be so lit. I wish I had more time to tell you guys story after story after story. I know of a pastor I know of a pastor who met a prostitute at a Waffle House and began to get to know her and know her name and he threw her a surprise birthday party. I, I, oh, I wish I could Google. I mean, there's so many stories like this about the impact that it had in her life that someone would see her and value her and not solicit sex for money, but actually just celebrate, hey, you were born and we want to have a party for you. At our I know of churches that have systems, programs where when convicts get out of prison, they, they get to come to those churches and they're actually welcomed with a, with a welcome out party. Do you know this convict? No, but they just got out of prison. Let's party with them. That seems dangerous. Well, maybe. 
I know of story after story after story of of people of status, privilege, and wealth who gave all that up to literally go live on the streets with homeless people so that they can make an impact where it counts. I'm not saying you have to go to those extreme measures, guys. Please hear me. But what I am saying is if you don't at least have the heart to invite and include beyond your comfortable circle, you're not operating according to the ways of Jesus. Imagine a reality. Imagine this with me, guys. Stay with me. Imagine this reality. What if, what if, what if the body of Jesus, what if Jesus' people became known as includers and inviters? What if we became marked by hospitality and warmth? What if we became known as the people who will take you in no matter how awkward you might be or how left out you've ever been, what if the body of Jesus actually became known for that instead of, and let's be really honest, instead of what it's usually known for, which is pretty clicky, pretty exclusive, kind of weird. If you don't know anyone, you won't make it very long. What if Jesus' people actually became known for operating the way Jesus did? I'm going to invite and include as many people as I can. Not just to come and attend, but actually be a part, to belong in my friend group. Yeah, but it's awkward. Yeah, it requires sacrifice. Jesus modeled it. It's talked about all over the Bible. James says it like this. Love on people who don't belong. It's as simple as that. If you show favoritism, James says, that's a sin. It's a big deal. Love on people who don't belong. And what it will require of you is awkwardness, sacrifice, discomfort. But those are the ways of Jesus. Those are the ways of Jesus. Let us be a people of belonging. What if it could start right here in this room? What if that culture could be a reality right here? And then it spreads. Imagine Imagine the beauty of that movement where everyone knows they've got a place. It's called the kingdom. And Jesus has an open invitation. So let us love on people who don't belong. Let's pray. Jesus, the reality is, whether we can see it about ourselves or not, none of us had a place to belong were it not for you and your grace and your love and your compassion and your mercy. Jesus, this passage actually ends by talking about mercy, that mercy triumphs over judgment. And so, Jesus, would you help us? Oh, we need your help. Would you help us see beyond ourselves to be people of mercy and not judgment, to be people who just shower love and compassion and grace and patience and and an invitation and not people who create categories and intentionally exclude some and not talk to others Oh, man. Jesus, how can those be defining things of your people? Would you give us a vision and a passion and a deep-seated conviction to always be looking for those who don't have a place to belong and go love on them, throw an arm around them, welcome them, say hello, get to know their name, place a value on them because they are worthy of the death and resurrection of Jesus At the foot of the cross, no one is greater than anyone else. 
Jesus, would you help this become like core, staple way of us operating? That we would just constantly have a radar sweep looking for people who need a place and that we would be the ones to change the culture. Say, oh, they can have a place here. That we, that we would love on people who don't belong. You first loved on us, Jesus, when we didn't belong. Help us recreate that. Help us be people who are known for that. Jesus, all we can do is ask this and pray this and hope that your spirit sweeps this room and stirs our hearts and that tonight, October 9th, would be somehow a definitive night where we'd walk out and say, man, I've got a new worldview. I am going to be an includer and an inviter. And it will never be said of me that I show favoritism. Oh, help that be a reality, Jesus. We ask in your powerful name. Amen.